from the heart of the Nipty Radio Recording Studios, high above 107 Columbia Street, in the heart of uptown downtown Albany. Welcome to the penultimate edition of this year's Nipty Practice Tips. 2018 is fast coming to a close. Welcome, everyone. Today we're going to be discussing important issues about the taking of pleas and the ways in which to prevent the defense from having avenues for appeals that will simply sap your resources. We call it the keys to pleas that will not be unlocked. So let's get started. One of the purposes of plea bargaining is to save time and court resources. The last thing a prosecutor or the court wants to happen is subsequent protracted litigation due to the appeals of a plea by the defense. The best way to avoid this litigation is to assure that the plea allocution, the conditions, and the sentence are properly within the statutory sentencing schemes and that the record is complete with all the required information. Here are some key plea issues that you should be aware of when taking part in the litigation of a plea. Number one, the sentencing rules that apply to a crime are the ones that were in effect at the time the defendant committed the crime. The rules in effect at the time of arrest, conviction, or sentence are not the ones to be applied. Number two, an SCI plea may not contain a charge that is greater than those in the criminal court complaint, nor a lesser one that is not a technical lesser included offense of one of the crimes in the complaint. Number three, when a defendant is charged with acting in concert with a co-defendant, if the defendant is to plead guilty to a lesser crime or to less than the entire indictment, the people and the court have the right to require the defendant to name the co-defendant in his or her allocution. Number four, a plea court is permitted to set a condition that the defendant not be rearrested between the time of the plea and the time of sentence. If the issue is raised concerning the validity of the new charge, or there is a denial of any involvement in that crime, the defendant must be given the opportunity to show the new arrest is without foundation. The nature and extent of the inquiry is up to the discretion of the court. Proof that the defendant committed the post-plea offense ultimately is not required. Number five. A previous conviction for a VTL felony offense can serve as the, quote, previous felony conviction for the purposes of predicate felony offender sentencing. However, a defendant who is a predicate felony offender and presently stands convicted of a VTL felony charge cannot be sentenced for that VTL felony as a predicate felony offender. Number six. A defendant has the right to appeal a sentence as excessive, even if it is the result of an agreed-upon plea bargain by the defendant, unless there is a proper allocution by the defendant of waiving this right. In order to preclude this additional litigation, you should be sure the defendant waives his or her right to appeal this issue at the time of the plea allocution. Number seven. A defendant who stands convicted on two separate crimes is not permitted to be sentenced to probation on one and an incarceratory sentence on the other. Number eight, if a defendant pleads guilty to a superior court information charging any of these three crimes, 110.265.02 subdivisions 5, 7, or 8, in other words, an attempt to commit one of those three crimes, it is not considered a VFO unless the SCI contains the completed crime, one of these three, 
265.02, subdivision 5, 7, or 8. And then the defendant pleads guilty to an attempt at any one of those three crimes. Again, these crimes are VFOs only when used in the context of taking a plea as a lesser-included offense to a charged completed felony. The accusatory instrument upon which the plea is taken must contain the completed crimes. Number nine, if a defendant is permitted to remain at large between the time of plea and the scheduled date of sentence and does not appear on the scheduled date for sentence, you should move to have the defendant sentenced in absentia. This will require you to have a hearing and call a witness who has investigated the whereabouts of the defendant and has been unable to locate him or her, thus establishing the absence is the result of a defendant's willful choice. One of the reasons for this procedure is that once the defendant is sentenced, he or she now stands in the position of having previously been convicted of a felony for future predicate or persistent felony offender sentencing. The sentence does not need to have been executed for it to be the basis for predicate felony sentencing. Often a defendant who has warranted on a case for which he or she was to be sentenced is returned as a result of a new arrest for a newly committed crime. Because the court has imposed the sentence in absentia, the likelihood is the defendant committed the new crime after the sentence in absentia was imposed. This results in the defendant's sentencing status being enhanced on the new case. Also note that the court has the authority to raise the sentence if that contingency was made part of the defendant's original plea allocution. Number 10. If a defendant did not appeal a previous felony conviction and is now in the position to be considered a predicate felony offender, he or she still has the right to challenge the constitutionality of the previous felony conviction when the court is determining if the defendant should be sentenced as a predicate felony offender. Number 11. For the defendant to be permitted to plead to less than the entire indictment in satisfaction of that indictment, the law requires the consent of both the court and the people. If the people are not accorded with the plea, then the only way in which the plea may be properly taken is for the defendant to plea to the entire indictment. And finally, number 12, the court is not permitted to suggest to the people that they not file a predicate felony offender paper in order to secure a plea to which the defendant will agree if he or she is not sentenced as a predicate felony offender. The mandatory nature of the predicate and persistent felony offender sentencing statutes is very clear. Even if the people delay in a timely filing of the required papers and the court becomes impatient and sentences the defendant as a non-predicate, this sentence would be invalid. Such a sentence could be appealed successfully by the people. The courts are given one year after imposing such an illegal sentence to correct their error. I'm sure you noticed, folks, that we identified absolutely no case law authority nor statutory authority for any of these positions. So I hope they're right. No, only kidding. There is a voluminous number of case sites and statutory sites in the actual memo, which you can easily find by hitting the link on the email that you use to reach the audio. We want to thank, as always, our crack producer and Santa Claus in disguise, Jonathan Marconi Crispino. To all of you out there, thank you so much for all of your attention and all of your assistance in us making these nifty broadcasts for you this year. 
And as always, please continue to send us suggestions and ideas that we can use to make our material better and more effective in your use. So to all of you, a very, very happy holiday season. Wishing you all a wonderful new year. Be well and stay ready, my friends. 